Good afternoon, and welcome to Outer Cape News on WOMR. My name is Matthew Dunn. This is your update on what's happening on the Lower and Outer Cape, drawing on stories reported in the pages of the Provincetown Independent, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. In this week's edition, Beth Dunn has stories about the resignation of Rich Waldo as Wellfleet's town administrator, and a story about an active shooter false alarm at Cape Cod Tech in Harwich. I've got stories about a storm once again bringing seawater into the east end of Provincetown, as well as an update on town government in Truro. Ira Wood is here, and he's got an opinion that kvetching is CNN for seniors. Wellfleet Town Administrator Richard Waldo has been hired as the new Public Works Director in Orleans. Waldo was hired as Wellfleet's administrator in March 2022 and submitted his resignation to Select Board Chair Barbara Carboni on Wednesday of this week. Prior to that, he was the Public Works Director in Provincetown. Waldo's contract requires that he give at least 90 days' notice of his resignation, but he told the Provincetown Independent that he requested an end date of February 9th, just 50 days after giving notice. Waldo took over in Wellfleet from Charlie Sumner, who served as interim administrator with Fire Chief Richard Pauley, following the sudden departure of Maria Broadbent in April 2022. Waldo was the town's sixth town administrator in the past decade. Select Board Chair Barbara Carboni declined to comment, other than to say that the Select Board would discuss the imminent vacancy at its next meeting. In his time as town administrator, Waldo oversaw the purchase of Maurice's campground, the town broke ground on the Herring River Restoration Project, and secured funding for a wastewater treatment plant at the planned Lawrence Hill Affordable Housing Development. Most importantly, as Waldo wrote in his resignation letter, the town was at last able to get free cash certified. Wellfleet's accounting irregularities came to light in 2019 when the town's unreconciled books meant that auditors could not provide a timely audit. The fiscal 2021 audit finally arrived last March, and after three years without access to a free cash account, Waldo announced a certification of $4.5 million on April 21st. Waldo also managed to fill vacant positions after a wave of resignations hit Wellfleet's town hall last spring and summer. Select Board member Michael DeVasto said Wednesday that the Select Board can't expect to retain a town administrator if board members interfere with their administrative role or undermine and disrespect them in public meetings. Board member Ryan Curley, who was removed as chair by his colleagues in July, told the Independent that conflict on the board arose from differences of opinion about the town administrator. After the board's reorganization in July, Kathleen Bacon resigned, citing irreconcilable differences with the board, lack of leadership, and undue stress. Bacon cited acrimony, incivility, and five- to six-hour-long meetings that precipitated a letter of complaint to the board from town staff that was made public on December 5th. 
DeVasto told The Independent that Waldo's resignation was an unfortunate setback, and select board members must do a better job in the way they interact with the town administrator and staff members. Waldo expressed a similar sentiment in his resignation letter, saying that the next town administrator will need unwavering support from the select board to be put in the best position to succeed, or they will undoubtedly fail. He wrote that he hopes the next town administrator will be supported by the community and keep things moving in the right direction. The Cape Cod National Seashore has announced that the removal of dead trees and shrubbery in the Duck Harbor area of Wellfleet will continue this winter. Last winter and spring, more than 80 acres of dead vegetation was cleared. The vegetation was killed by salt water rushing in from Cape Cod Bay, and those overwash events have continued. According to the seashore, roughly 40 acres of dead woody vegetation in the area still remains to be cleared. The Clearing Project, a partnership between the seashore and Ducks Unlimited, has helped promote the growth of native salt marsh vegetation and lowered the risk of wildfire in the area. The project also seeks to reduce the breeding habitat for mosquitoes. The tuition charge to students from Provincetown and Truro to attend Nauset Middle or High School is going up. Next year's fee will be just over $23,000, an increase of more than 12% from the current year. Nauset Regional School Superintendent Brooke Clenchy said there's a new agreement every five years, and the current agreement runs out at the end of the current school year. The new agreement includes fee hikes of 3% a year until fiscal 2026-27, when tuition hits $24,500 per student. Regional School Committee member Tom Fitzgibbons Regional School Committee member Tom Fitzgibbons said the negotiation starting point was the State Department of Elementary and Secondary Education set cost per pupil of $25,000 plus a 7.8% addition, representing the increased costs in operating the Nauset schools. During the debate over the renovation of Nauset High School, some Brewster officials suggested that any new tuition agreement with Provincetown and Truro should include some funding to cover the cost of the renovations. At the time, the district towns asked the regional school committee to see if Provincetown and Truro were interested in fully joining the district, but both towns declined. Clenchy noted that under state rules, debt cannot be added into a tuition assessment. Fitzgibbons noted that Orleans, Brewster, East Ham, and Wellfleet all approved the debt. The two towns on the tip of Cape Cod were not involved. The subcommittee working on the amended regional agreement will meet again in January. The recommended draft will be sent to the full regional school committee and, if approved, sent on to the State Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Then it would be sent to the four town select boards and town meetings for final approval this spring. A false alarm about an armed intruder sent students and staff members at Cape Tech fleeing Friday morning last week. There was no actual threat at the school. Superintendent of Schools Rob Sanborn said Friday afternoon that an investigation into the event was underway, and because the investigation may lead to disciplinary action, he could not say how the armed intruder system became activated. 
For security reasons, Sandboard would not detail the protocols that take place when the armed intruder system is activated. But he said the Harwich police were immediately notified, as was the school resource officer. School officials, not police, are leading the investigation. The vocational school took steps to support rattled students and staff. Immediately after students returned to the building, school officials encouraged them to use their phones to update their parents. Counselors were available all day before classes were dismissed early at around 1.30 p.m. The school notified parents about the incident, and Principal William Terranova was expected to host a virtual meeting with parents on Monday morning. Sanborn said the school regularly drills its active shooter protocol, but the problem was related to the alarm system rather than the students' and staff's response to the alert. Students generally praised the actions of staff members and Principal Terranova during the incident. Parent Kim Devine said she had already received Principal Terranova's initial communication when her son called. Devine applauded the administration and staff for their leadership during a difficult and challenging time. An employee at the Brewster Bookstore got an unexpected holiday gift in the mail from best-selling author James Patterson this month. Michelle Koch is an Orleans resident who works as a buyer for the Brewster Bookstore and was one of 600 independent bookstore employees in the U.S. to be given a surprise $500 holiday bonus from the celebrated novelist. Patterson said recently on social media that booksellers save lives and seems to have put his wallet behind those words. Koch has worked for two years at the bookstore, where she's responsible for bringing in all of the store's inventory outside of books. While someone at the bookstore nominated her for the bonus, Koch said she shares the recognition with everyone at the store. Koch plans to give a portion of her bonus to a local nonprofit, as well as Doctors Without Borders. She also may put some of it towards a trip, or perhaps spend it on seeds for the garden. An avid gardener, she also helps grow the flowers that are frequently offered for sale at the Brewster Bookstore. Surprise bonuses aside, Koch said she's grateful for the support that Patterson continues to give independent retailers all over the country. The board of directors at the Cape Cod Theatre Company, Harwich Junior Theatre, has announced that Kate Pazakis will resign as producing artistic director, and Jen Pina will take over the position as of January 1st. The leadership change comes two years after the retirement of longtime producing artistic director Nina Schessler. Pina grew up in Harwich and began taking classes at the HJT when she was six years old, performing in her first play when she was seven. She sums up the opportunity to lead the theater as an amazing homecoming. Pina has been an actor, dancer, director, and teacher in theaters and performance spaces across the country, and for over 20 years has worked as an executive coach using theater-based techniques to help leaders around the globe hone their ability to connect with their audiences. Two important aspects of the Harvard's Junior Theater that Pina cherishes are the multi-generational nature of the place and the way the skills that people acquire at the theater can help them in all areas of life. She says it's incredible to be part of the community of creative collaborators at the theater who have it in their DNA to educate, empower, and inspire. For Outer Cape News, this is Beth Dunn. 
storm that dumped heavy rain on the east coast the storm that dumped heavy rain up and down the east coast on monday killed two people elsewhere in massachusetts and caused a fresh round of flooding in provincetown's east end the storm came almost exactly a year after a storm sent an even larger surge of seawater into the same areas on december 23 2022 There was much less water than last year, however, because the harbor did not reach the 13.8-foot level that it did then. According to the National Weather Service, the water in Provincetown Harbor rose to 12.67 feet at high tide on December 18th, just below the minor coastal flooding metric of 13 feet. Seawater did, however, flow across the Ice House condominium parking lot and down Daggett Lane, retracing a path that flooding had taken only a year before. Although Howland Street had some standing water, it did not course all the way to Bradford Street, as happened last year. Seawater also intruded in the area of 541 Commercial near Fenizzi's Restaurant and the Surfside Hotel, and around 599 Commercial, where at least one walkway between the street and the harbor flooded. The DPW had provided sandbags to neighbors of 509 Commercial Street just before the storm. They built a wall of bags across the rear of that property, which had been a conduit for floodwaters the year before. Quinn Taylor, the neighbor who organized that effort, said he believed it had helped block some water, and when water did start coming across the street, it was from the ice house, not from the house at 509, which has recently been raised on stilts. Only five days before Monday's storm, Provincetown had held a public forum at which the Coastal Resiliency Advisory Committee had presented its plans for next year. The town will be hiring a consultant in February to develop a comprehensive approach to coastal resilience. As the Center for Coastal Studies documented in 2016, Provincetown is an undulating terrain with a series of flood pathways. After the December 22 flood, the lead scientist on that study, Mark Borelli, said that a FEMA-required elevation of the home at 509 Commercial, which sits in one of those pathways, could have lowered the ground level at that site. Provincetown Community Development Director Tim Famulare said the consultant will explore community-scale protection that could protect entire blocks or small neighborhoods from flooding. The Truro Select Board unanimously reappointed two temporary members of the Board of Registrars on December 12th after expressing dissatisfaction with the list of eight candidates for the two seats that had been submitted by Timothy Hickey, chair of the Republican Town Committee. The board said that there were too many married couples on that list. The registrars have figured prominently in the news recently because they heard dozens of challenges against new voters following a campaign by the Truro Part-Time Resident Taxpayers Association to encourage its members to register to vote in town. 34 of the challenged voters are no longer on the rolls. 13 were removed by the registrars, and another 21 withdrew their registrations voluntarily. 
One of those removed by the registrar's Michael Oliverio has attempted to file suit against them, calling their hearings a kangaroo court. The board of registrars should have four members. Because there were two vacancies when the voter challenges were filed, the select board appointed Julie Cataldo and Heather Harper to 60-day terms on October 13th. Last week, those appointments were extended for 28 more days to January 9th, when the select board will next meet. The registrars are to represent the two major political parties equally, as far as possible, and the chairs of the two town party committees are to submit lists of candidates. Before the select board's December 12th meeting, Hickey had submitted a list of eight candidates that included three married couples. Four members of the select board were opposed to a marital pair serving together as registrars. State law does not explicitly grant the select board authority to ask for a new list of candidates, but according to town manager Darren Tangerman, town council had advised that requesting one fell within the board's powers. Hickey must now submit a new list of nominees to fill the two vacancies. This time, he confirmed, there will be no married couples. The Truro Select Board met on December 12th for a mid-year review of town manager Darren Tangeman's job performance. It was part of a strategy for moving forward after controversy erupted last summer over the renewal of Tangeman's contract. Tangeman and the board agreed on nine goals to improve outreach and communications with the town. The work plan stipulated that Tangeman provide periodic public updates to the select board on his progress. Tangeman has conducted monthly coffees since summer. Tangeman also met with the Truro Part-Time Resident Taxpayers Association board for discussions about how the membership of that organization can have a bigger voice in town decision-making. And Tangerman has set up mentorships with retired town managers Keith Bergman, Provincetown's former town manager who's a Massachusetts Municipal Association senior mentor, and Kevin Pikos, former town manager of Hingham and Foxborough. Board member Stephanie Rain said she appreciated the effort and suggested that feedback from town staff should be added to the work plan. Vice Chair Sue Arison, the lone board member who voted against renewing Tangeman's contract in June, said it was a good start and that both Tangeman and the select board should be working to reach out to people in the community who are not feeling heard for whatever reason. Chair Kristen Reed said townspeople had told her they'd noticed a difference in Tangeman's work style. Restaurant owner and chef Philippe Rispoli, who came to Wellfleet from Lyon by way of Las Vegas, has won his fight with the town to display his 21-foot-tall replica of the Eiffel Tower in the parking lot of the PB Boulangerie Bistro. The restaurant is at the intersection of LeCount Hollow Road and Route 6. The red, white, and blue metal structure is wrapped in white lights. Under the conditions of a special permit authorized by the Zoning Board of Appeals, the tower's lights can remain on from dark to the restaurant's closing time when all the lights must be shut off. It can remain lit no later than 11 p.m. 
The ZBA originally denied the permits required for the project in 2020. Rispoli appealed the denial in Orleans District Court. The judge upheld the zoning board's denial, but concluded that the tower was an accessory structure and not a sign, which changed the criteria it must meet in the town's bylaws. Deliberation wrapped up in less than 15 minutes, and Rispolin now has what he needs except the permit from the building inspector to put up his tower. Kevin LaRocco has been sworn in as Wellfleet's new police chief, taking the place of Michael Hurley, who retired after 28 years in the police department. Hurley started his career in Wellfleet in 1995 and had served as chief since November of 2019. He had been on medical leave since late May, according to LaRocco, who has served as acting chief since then. Wellfleet currently has 15 full-time patrol officers, and LaRocco is looking to hire three more. LaRocco joined the Wellfleet Police Department in 2007 as a summer officer, before becoming a full-time dispatcher the following fall. He became a patrol officer a couple of years later, and was promoted to deputy chief in April of 2023, just a month before becoming acting chief. After considerable uncertainty in recent weeks, the Harwich Select Board voted Monday to call a special election for Tuesday, April 9th to fill the seat on the board vacated by Mary Anderson. Nomination papers for the unexpired term will become available on December 26th. The candidate elected on April 9th will serve approximately six weeks until the annual town election is held. The election is expected to cost taxpayers around $20,000. Anderson resigned on October 25th, and the select board opted to leave her seat vacant until the May 21st annual town election, when her term was set to end. Resident Patrick Otten circulated a petition that sought to force the board to reverse course, holding a special election no later than January 23rd. But the town clerk advised against holding any election before April 9th to avoid conflicts with the March 5th presidential primary election. In light of that, Otten reversed course earlier this month and said he no longer favored having a special election since the successful candidate would only serve six weeks. He urged the signatories to his petition to contact the town and officially withdraw their support, but it wasn't clear whether such an action would be practical or legally sufficient to nullify the petition. So this week, Otten reversed his reversal, urging the board to go ahead with the special election. With three members present, the Harwich Select Board unanimously set the special election date for April 9th. For Outer Cape News, my name is Matthew Dunn. When I was growing up, I never liked being around old people because all they seemed to talk about was their health. Kvetch, kvetch, kvetch about their aches and their pains and their doctors and operations. I didn't come from a tight family, but most weekends my mom and dad 
piled us in the car, and drove us out to the old neighborhood to spend Sundays at my grandparents'. The dining room table was always surrounded by aunts and uncles drinking coffee and talking incessantly about their body parts, diseases, conditions, and as their voices lowered and all you could hear was the tinkling of spoons, whoever had recently died. One perpetual topic that haunted my dreams was Aunt Selma's goiter, an irregular growth of the thyroid gland on the base of her neck that looked like a large, purple Italian eggplant. Learning that goiters were caused by an iodine deficiency and that fish had lots of iodine, I ate nothing for lunch but tuna sandwiches for years. We weren't a particularly sickly clan. Most of the old folks lasted well into their 80s, so why, I wondered, did they always talk about each other's ingrown toenails, cataracts, diabetes, constipation, liver spots, and achy joints? When I got old, I vowed, I would never be like them. I was at a crowded party just last weekend, filling my plate at the buffet table when someone mentioned colonoscopies, who'd had them, who hated them, who was putting them off, which included everyone there, of course, and when the discussion turned to water hydrotherapy as an alternative to that horrible gallon of sludge they make you drink, all conversation stopped, heads leaned in, and attention was riveted. Suddenly, I was surrounded by twelve of my peers, all of whom were educated and well-read, who'd had many lovers and had traveled the world, but who were now transfixed by a description of a high-tech enema. And at that point, I realized I had become my grandparents. But why, I had to ask myself, what was so interesting about other people's illnesses? Could it be schadenfreude, that wicked human pleasure we derive from another person's misfortune, taking perverse comfort in the fact that we aren't the only ones whose bodies are falling apart? Or could it simply be practical? Maybe we're all trying to help each other, to share resources. How many times have I learned what hospitals to avoid, what side effects to expect from certain drugs, or what to do when your doctor suddenly quits Outer Cape Health. That's all valuable intel. I know that with certain old friends, I find myself continually sharing my astonishment at the embarrassing progression of aging. Like, can you fracking believe how many times I got up to pee last night? Or it might just be that when we're in pain, when our hips ache, when it hurts to turn our necks, that's all we can think about. Nothing else in the world is as real or as present as our body. Not sports or politics or nature or any of the subjects that used to consume our attention. So what else is there really to talk about? It might simply be we're all seeking reassurance or wanting to feel less alone or less frightened. 
I know that when I get into one of these conversations, I try not to talk too much, but to listen, because I think that's what the other person really wants. They need my attention. So, if the question is, why do we talk about our health so much as we get older? The simplest answer might be the truest, because it's interesting, because all our lives we've been asking each other, how's it going? And now we're subtly asking, how is it ending? Talking about aches and pains isn't just complaining, it's the news we can use. Kvetching is CNN for seniors. I'm Ira Wood, and that's my opinion. And that does it for this week's edition of Outer Cape News. Thanks go to the Provincetown Independent, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. Thanks also to Beth Dunn and Ira Wood for their contributions to the program. And thanks to Jacob Greenberg and Henry and Jane Fisher for being sustaining members of Outer Cape News. Now stay tuned for Friday Afternoon Jazz. It's Stirred Not Shaken with Hank and Andy on listener-supported community radio, WOMR. Your more young, your mom and